Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler, and this podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. This week, my guests include author Bernadine Evaristo and publisher Supremo Charmaine Lovegrove. Together, we discuss major diversity-related problems in the publishing industry, as well as Bernadine's excellent, and I mean excellent, new novel, Girl, Woman, Other. But before that, for this week's books roundup, I really want to recommend Charmaine's dialogue books, an incredible imprint and an incredible year for Charmaine. Having published the likes of French Martinique author Patrick Chamoiseau, The Old Slave and the Mastiff, and it's worth actually reading one of the reviews on, on, on the back of the book. This flight to freedom takes them on a journey that will transform them all. As the overwhelming physical presence of the forest and its dense primeval wilderness reshapes reality and time itself. Charmaine's imprint has also published a good immigrant US, featuring the likes of Nicole Dennis Ben. And if you know Nicole's work, Here Comes the Sun was published last year and is, is, is one of those Liberia favorites we cry out about all the time. And included in that, authors Teju Cole and Jenny Zhang. I'm also re- recommending, obviously, Girl, Woman, Other. Look, Bernadine's style is remarkably free. And for me, it really allows her characters to lift off the page. And this is key given the many lives she depicts. So yeah, try and get your hands on that. Um, it, it's, it's available in all good bookshops, including Liberia. But let's go and talk to Bernadine and Charmaine. The publishing industry has woken up to the fact that our stories are not out there. And so there's a lot of publishing activity happening at the moment. So the reason I wrote this book with so many characters was I just wanted to people fiction with so many different kinds of experiences to kind of fill in that gap because... We just were so invisible and still are, and why but is, it's getting better. Why? Well, it's what's really interesting is that I remember when the Obamas sort of first came on the scene and I remember people saying, wow, I've never seen anyone that looks like Michelle Obama. And I'm like, I think all my aunties or a lot of my aunties or most people I know, women, black women in their yeah, 50s yeah. that live in Hackney, Bricks and, um, you know, look, Clapham all over London. Yeah look like this you know having relaxed hair having a really like beautiful chocolate skin like just being just being like very present wearing heels and you know bright blue um dresses you know it's just like she's like an image of someone that I just know quite intimately but that's like but that woman doesn't really get on the bus because you don't really see that woman like standing on the 37 bus because she's sort of earned her place. So she's got a car mm. and she's probably the person in the BMW that you're not expecting or the Mercedes. And I was like, these women are just sort of a really integral part of the fabric of the city. Yeah. But if you've just moved here or you, you know, you're not from a Caribbean or African culture, then you're not going to see them. But it was right. just so fascinating to me of how something that was so in like hiding in plain sight. And it just really struck me, you know, sort of 10 years ago of this phenomenon of like, where, where is everybody? Mm. Um, and I never thought that I would become a publisher, but I realized that there was a really big gap between me and the first black women publishers. So mm-hmm. Margaret Busby, mm-hmm. um, Elise Dillsworth, um, Ella Alfrey. You know, these are women who have worked so hard in publishing houses in the UK, who have crafted great stories from all sorts of people, you know, mm. where and really diversity, mm. um, you know, they're, they're really inclusive in their publishing. It wasn't just about sort of black 
women publishing, um, and they're no longer in in big publishing houses. So when I when I stepped into my role, then I knew that I was standing on the shoulder of giants, yeah. and that they had literally passed me the baton. I I asked them permission if I could do this job because it was so important to me that I. And what also going back to the book, which is so important, is that it's understanding that there's a lineage. You know, we didn't wake up like this and we are on a journey and every journey is so different. And to see that relationship between Yaz and Amma and having, you know, the mother that has fought fought so hard for everything that she is. And then a daughter who was saying, mum, you know, you haven't really got like the acronyms right and you don't really understand this. And you just sort of realise sort of the generational shifts. And so it's our responsibility to kind of maintain um, presence yeah. and reflection. And so that we're not, I mean, we cannot go back to being invisible. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do within Dialogue, dialogue Books. books. Yeah. Just to say, yeah, just to say that, you know, you, you're asking what, why? Why have we been so invisible? Mm. I mean, a big part of that is because we haven't been in these publishing houses. So Charmaine, you know, running an imprint for a major publishing yeah. housing yeah. Is, is, is a phenomenal groundbreaking moment, yeah. really, yeah. for the 21st century. And it shouldn't be. Mm. So we should be, we should be employed at every level of publishing houses. Absolutely. And it's not to say that the people in the publishing houses are racist. We're not saying that. But there has been a certain myopia, I would say, in terms of what they think will sell, mm. the kinds of stories mm. that they think are interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely there have been un- untapped markets out there. So, for example, what we're witnessing today, so uh, one of the books that Charmaine's published uh, just now is Blacklisted by mm. Jeffrey Brockier, mm. you know, which is a book about race. Yeah. And we have lots of other books, nonfiction yeah. books being yeah. published about yeah. race. And it's quite a phenomenal thing because this has never, I can tell you, I've been around a long time. This has never happened before. And each book is doing something different. They're all exploring different angles. So we have Derek Bardowell, No Win Race, which is about kind mm. of about race and mm. sport. You've got Safe, edited by Derek Awusu, which mm. is about lots of essays by black men. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. Suddenly you've got these 20 voices in a book yeah. talking about different, yeah. different, um, different realities that they've experienced. Um, and some of the publishing houses are taking on the challenge of you know, diversifying. And people don't like that word, but actually it's a very important word mm. because it's a society we're living in and we need to see it reflected in the publishing houses. So, so now we have um, Charmaine. We've also got Bibi Bakari Yusuf, who runs Kazava Republic, mm. and we've got Jacaranda Books. And, but, you Jacaranda, know, yeah. There aren't that many. And so we need to be at the helm. We need to be in, in, in publicity and marketing and we yeah, need to be yeah. in sales and we need yeah. to be in editorial. But being a decision maker, you know, that was the thing for me that was really clear. And do you have that now? Yeah. I Total mean, control. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the great thing about being a publisher is that you are you are the head gatekeeper. Yeah. And it's quite hard to sort of explain that to people so I went to university earlier this week and then I sort of got some people slid into my dms and like sent me some work and I was like I'm and then I I send them a link where I'm like this is actually the process I'm happy to help you through the process yeah but I can't read your unfinished work because I'm I am the head gatekeeper yes and I think because I'm from a hierarchical society and Jamaicans are very hierarchical and very sort of traditional that in a way it's sort of important that I'm quite um firm about that and because 
you know, I have to really fight for my offers and to ensure that they don't get lost. And if I spend too much time doing the other stuff of helping yeah. people out, yeah. then I don't really, I don't have then enough time to ensure that the cover is right. You know, Blacklisted is a fantastic cover, mm. but um, it had it been in different hands, it just would have looked different and it yeah. would have been more of a sort of black fist or like very political, but actually yeah. in in you know, the power of being a black woman in this position means that I can say, how about we remember that we're also celebrating yes. and that not everything about us being black yeah, has yeah. to be politicized within yeah. the negative. Yeah. You know, it, it is always political because of the society mm. and I'm cool with that. I'm a political person, but we also, look, we just want to dance. So the picture is of, oh, so in 1974 it's, of, you know, dancing yeah. at Notting Hill Carnival, Great. but with against the police and we're just like you can't stop us like we're always here and that kind of energy that kind of energy that I am seeing from young people of color that are coming through the publishing houses is amazing and you know because what we're seeing now is that when you are told consistently throughout your life that you have to work harder Mm. harder Mm. you will work Mm. so what's now happening is that there's a really the it's tipping because you've got people like myself who are mm. coming in. I've never worked in a publishing house. I'm meant to publish six to eight books a year. I've got 19 books this year. I've got 22 books next year. They're all great quality. Wow. The first of my books was on the Women's Prize long list, yeah. remembered by Yvonne Battlefelton. I've got um, I've got Nudie Branch coming out um, later this year by Renison Akoji. I have um, Signet by Susan Butler. It's like these are really strong and very you're ranging wide and far, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, they're really And you're bringing stories. in other voices as well from the yeah. continent, Patrick Chamoiseau. Pa- Patrick Chamoiseau, you know, he won the Prix Goncourt, um, you know, translating from yeah. French Creole, you know, bringing in that Creolite culture when talking about the slave trade yeah. is really important to me, you know, and, and so that it's not just the sort of the African-American experience, which, mm, will, mm. you know, um, Bernadine is like very focused as well on the black British experience yeah. because we're here, we're here. And so sometimes, you know, I do, I just recently brought Brit Bennett, which I'm so deeply proud of. She wrote The Mother. She's got a new um, novel coming out next year. You know, I, I, I love That's, those African-American writers yeah. as well, but we're in the UK and it's really important to me that I give the space you know, and yes. and one thing I love about your work, Bindine, is that you really are making space for a lot of people to come through. And yeah. I saw that in, you know, in plain sight at the Royal Society of Literature, where um, Bernadine um, is the vice chair and was, you know, it's just the difference in the, the new fellows yes. and their backgrounds and Great. their cultures and their storytelling, you know, in your elements. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's interesting because, you know, um, I, I'm a professor at Brunel University of mm. London, a, a professor of creative writing, but I actually only went in there in 2011 and they found yeah. me. So it's interesting that, a lot of the other black women, and there are only 25 of us uh, black women professors in this country mm. out of 17,000 professors, right? 17,000 professors and only 25 are black women. So a lot of us who are in the arts were sort of parachuted in after we'd built careers for ourselves in the arts. So as Charmaine had built a career for herself um, in literature, we built careers for ourselves in the arts and then we're parachuted in. 
into these quite senior positions. So it's very interesting. What it says is that these institutions do not yet know how to nurture people through the talent. You know, from when yeah. they first enter the yeah. university yeah. through to getting their, yeah. you know, second degrees and third degrees. How do we so how do we so change forth. that? Because I mean, there was the big, I mean, quite rightly, the whole the whole thing with Oxford University and student diversity as well. You know? Yeah, well, yeah. At the university. I mean, how do we? Where do where? Well, at a university, I know the difference I make as somebody who is a woman of color who is very politicized, who is able to bring on the students. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The students of color who would not necessarily be brought on by anybody else. So that's how we begin to change things. You need to change the workforce in order for us to become role models and also to have a way in to understanding the student body and the, the particular needs that they might have when they're coming into you know, the ed educational establishments that may not cater to them. So there are things like reading lists. Yeah, what, do you, yeah. what, what are the books that you put yeah. on the reading lists and so on and so forth? So that they don't have to be fluent yeah. in that culture in the way that there's no way that I could have done this if I wasn't. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting. We have a scheme at Hachette called Fresh Chapters and um, it's for BAME um, traineeships. So they're paid um, 20,000 a year and to live in London. So it's a... Um, and they move around the different divisions and okay. work in different roles. Great. And one of the trainees said, you know, they've had to do a SWOT test and write an essay and all the things that they've had to do to get onto this traineeship. And they've normally gone to, they've normally gone to a um, Red Brick, um, Russell Group or Oxbridge um, University and then when they get in, in this traineeship, then sometimes um, my colleagues will say, oh, I thought we were supposed to be bringing in people from disadvantaged backgrounds, but, you know, they're from, they went to Oxford, so they're really privileged. And I'm like, okay, listen, if I did like a Jamie Oliver style, I'm going to bring some ex-convicts from Brixton Prison to come and work in the publishing house. You couldn't handle it. Yeah. You couldn't handle it. Yeah. I'm like, you were starting so from the bottom. Yeah, you right, know? okay. We just yeah. did our ethnicity yeah. pay gap at Tachette. It's like we have 125 employees of colour out of... 1,500 staff Whoa. in central London. Whoa. You couldn't handle if I started bringing people in or we started attracting people yeah. who didn't know what didn't know what a prelim was or didn't know what an ISBN yeah, was. Yeah, you know, yeah. you just couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. So not only are you finding these people who are going be above and beyond, but now we're in this position where they're all doing so great. We're having to, we, we don't want to lose them. We cannot lose them. And it's making lots of people feel really uncomfortable. And it's really interesting to watch because you're watching a whole other group of people who didn't have to push, yeah. who got, whose yeah. uncle or godparent worked in the industry and they just kind yeah, of got in yeah, sure. and now they're, they're worried. And so, but luckily because we've all had to fight, we're like, listen, we're just here for the books yeah. and your, your personal politics, yeah. Yeah, 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 we're not yeah. here for. And so then what happens, you start publishing the books yeah. and you just focus on the books and you don't let the politics worry you. And then you publish really well and you publish really sincerely and you publish what you love. And because you've had that experience, it pays off. And so not only is the company, the company changing, but the lists are changing and you know, publishing is very competitive. Is it heartening? Is, I mean, obviously, there's a, 
you know, there's a long way to go. <laughs> but is it heartening for you guys, uh, you know, to see well, some li- sort of a shift? I've, there's definitely a shift happening in the last two years. And there's definitely a shift happening right now. This year, there are so many books being published by Britain's writers of colour, which is very, very exciting. My issue is that you want to have writers who are going to be nurtured throughout the length of their career and that they're going to write write books that mature as they do. And uh, you don't just want one-hit wonders. Mm. You don't just want people who are going to be shooting stars. Mm. You want people who are going to produce a body of work so that we're always part of the literature landscape Mm -hmm. in this country Mm -hmm. rather than becoming a trend or a fashion. Mm. So I'm slightly worried okay, about the yeah, fact that there, that's are, interesting, there yeah. are so many of these books coming out, you know, especially sort of nonfiction books. And yeah. these, are, these are important, crucial, urgent books. They're exploring all aspects of our lives. There's a writer called Elizabeth Jane Burnett who's written a book called The Grass. I, I just interviewed her in Liberia to launch the book. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's a book called, yeah, her book's great. called it's The beautiful. Grassling and yeah. she calls it a, geo, um, a geological memoir. Mm. And it's about growing up in Devon and it's about the landscape and it's a kind of nature book. Mm. And that's fantastic. You know, it's fantastic. That, that shows us true diversity yes. when a book like that is published by a black British woman writer. Yes. And, you know, it's going to reach an audience and it's going to say something very different about us. Mm. So taking us completely out of any kind of urban context and, and relating us to the British soil in a way that she does, is almost groundbreaking, I would suggest. Yeah, I just, so, um, I just um, judged the prize for the um, um, Forestry Commission, and it was about finding um, writers and residents in the forest, and they just had an overwhelming response. And one of those things was by putting, having a diverse judging panel and putting me in a forest in, outside of Bristol and making me walk through it. <laughs> it was just like people saw themselves in the same way that when I see, my, when I see a black woman in a B&Q advert, I'm like, oh, maybe I could lay a floor. And it's so interesting what representation means. And I think, you know, I think it's just been totally underestimated by the majority and now they can hear us. And so they can't go backwards. I do think that the trend of... Um, of books about race, um, the non-fiction books about race. Renny Edo Lodge. Uh, and, yeah, I do I mean, think that's that, kind of key a key text. So that is an absolute. Um, that is an absolute key text. I think that those kinds of books, even um, Blacklist, I think those will be on the shelves for a long time and no yeah. win race. Um, you know, I think those books, these books that we're seeing now, will be on the. But I, I think it's very hard to repeat them. Yes, um, because I think that what that where where they're coming from and what they're saying is really coming from like you know the heart of it. It's really, it's they're, they're really engaging books that are looking at you know because they're the first they're kind of able to look at a yeah. wide range. Um, so I think that those books we're going to see um, fewer of, and I think that's also important because like you're saying, I want to see the experts. Like I want to find the economists yes. and I want to know people yeah. that know about yeah. health. And, yeah. you know, I want to find black Adam Kay. Like, who is that black doctor that's not talking about race, but is talking about what the National Health Service is, is like, but because they are someone of colour or the, they have a disability or they're from the LGBTQI plus community, they can see things from a different vista and they bring that along with their expertise. And once we start getting into the experts, then... You know, I'm like, where is that Jared Diamond? But from yes. a, yeah. you know, and then that's when I'm, that's what I'm really, really, really excited about. And, you know, I've just kind of given away my strategy. Uh, <laughs> one of, one of well. the things I'd, I've written about in Girl, Woman, Other is um, there's a 93-year-old character who's a farmer 
Yes. She's a black woman. She lives in Northumberland. Yes. And it's been in her family for 200 years on her father's side. Mm. And I really wanted to take, you know, some of the characters live in the city, but I wanted to show that we are all over this country. Yeah, all over this country. And that it's, it's, it's perfectly conceivable that you can have a woman of her age who has been a farmer all her life mm. and who has a relationship to rural life and hates the city and wouldn't dream of going to London. And is Northern and could be a Brexiteer and could be a UKIP voter and yes, is, you know, exactly. possibly, possibly has right wing views um, and that, that, that she's as valid as anybody else, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. we're often portrayed in an urban environment. And so I've got Northerners, I've got um, a couple of the characters spend some time in Cornwall, yeah. for example. Yeah. So I just wanted to show that we can be all over this country because yes. often we are very London centric. Yes. And I've been guilty of that myself. But, you know, just to, to show a spread. That's really, I think that's so important because also we're from countries that, where we, you know, I'm from Jamaica, my family are Jamaica, my grandparents are Jamaican. You know, Jamaica is really like one big, massive field surrounded by sea. Um, with sounds, a couple like, of cities. sounds like Ireland. Yeah, it's just, but you know, <laughs> but it's interesting that we're not seen as being part of a farming community when actually my grandparents yeah. and great grandparents have been farmers and, and the same with lots of parts of rural Africa. You know, the cities came later, mm. but I think that's a really, really interesting, a really interesting point is to remember that how important that sort of regional diversity is. Well, there you go. <laughs> Super engaging from Bernadine and Charmaine on such an important topic across not only publishing, but, you know, society in general. Uh, crazy statistics there as well. I think there is a hell of a lot of work to be done, no doubt about it. Um, our full cultural program listings for events are, of course, at secondhome.io. See you next time. <laughs>